Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Pui Huin of Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends Sean Walker of Simple Coat. How's it going? It's going well. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. Hui, how the hell are you, man? Man, I'm doing well. I got a new baby. You have a new baby? Yep. Is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. And it's, its name? Henry. His name, Henry? Yep. Henry Hui. That's a good name. What's his middle name? Christian. Awesome. Yeah. How's my, how's mom doing? Doing well. We almost didn't make it to the hospital. <laughs> oh, why? What'd you do? Run out of gas or something? You didn't have the car gassed up? No, we, uh, my wife, uh, delivered very fast this time around. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like you didn't make it to the hospital because she was looking to do it right there in the car. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. No, yeah. thank you. Were you, are you one of those guys that like goes into the delivery room with her? Yeah. Yeah. I was in the delivery room. Not me, man. No. No. <laughs> you're, you're like, come and get me when you're done. <laughs> yeah. I'll be out here. I'll be out here watching TV. Let me know when it's over. <laughs> well, we can talk more about that when we talk about at the end of the show what we've got going on in our own shops or our own nurseries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but this podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and wow, we've really had uh, quite now pouring on our Patreon ca- uh, Patreon account this uh, this month. Um, our newest patrons are John Fuller, Wesley Willard, Pepper, Matt Hale, Nick Reland, Jesse Dumas, and Jay Havner. My goodness, that's that's a big list this this uh, this month. So thank you so much. If you'd like to show your support, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshop life if you'd like to show your support and as i said earlier wait until the end of the show we're going to talk about what each of us have going on in our own shops but with that let's get right into the questions guy you've got the first question all right uh, first question is from mike and mike says hey guys i've been listening from the start awesome podcast and it's been super informational so thank thank you for all you do well you're, you're welcome mike here's this question And he says, my question to you guys is, is it worth upgrading my DeWalt 734 to a helical head or buy a new 735 four post and upgrade the head later on? Money reasons for later on. The 734 has worked great for me for about three years. My only complaint is the knives are crap. I I dig that. They don't last very long. My question is, is it worth upgrading the old 734 versus getting a new four post and upgrading lighter? It's a better machine, so maybe it will last longer in the end. Thank you for your time. Um, that's, it's a tough question to answer. Whenever we get questions like this, it's tough to answer, but I think it's, it's relevant because a lot of people go through the same type of thing. So right. um, I had a DeWalt lunchbox planer for years i don't remember the model number it might have been a 734 i I have no idea um but i bought it in like 97 and that was an upgrade from the craftsman that i had before that which Mm -hmm. broke on me i didn't have i had a knife sharpening thing that i that i used and i sharpened my own knife so i didn't have that big of a deal with it it was and that Makita I, thing, right? The Makita. Yeah, I saw yeah. and I still have it. Um, mm-hmm. It was Too almost bad they as don't much make as that the, anymore. Yeah, it was almost as much as the planer was. But I was living out in the middle of a, a very rural community, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, at that time Amazon wasn't a big thing yet. So yeah, it's before Amazon. <laughs> so um, the thing is, is if you put helical heads on the 734 they make one for it mm-hmm. i don't think the power is going to be enough you're going to be taking off like less than a 32nd of an inch is there a difference in the power source between the 734 and 735 I, I i'm guessing there is i don't know okay i don't know the 735 could barely because when i got my 735 i never even had the straight knives in it 
I bought the the an actual bird Shelux head along with the joiner or the planer, and I put it in, you know, as soon as I got it. Um, and it really, even that machine, it cut the horsepower way down. Uh, it would, if I had a bunch of wood that needed to be milled, you know, let's say I got a hundred board feet, I got to run through there. Yeah. After an hour or two, it would just shut down. It would overheat. You'd have to wait a couple, three hours. There isn't like a thermal overload button you can press. You would have to wait for it to, to, to cool off. And you could only take, like I said, uh, a fat 32nd of an inch off of it with that. Mm-hmm. So have, have you guys ever had one of these, these planers? I had the 734 with um, straight knives in it. <clears throat> and, I, and I even even had the issues of of it overheating with the straight knives. Yeah. So I can I can't imagine that you you know that you're gonna run into the same thing or even more often with the helical head and plus you gotta take, you know, shallower passes. So it's gonna take even mm-hmm. longer to mill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you had that problem. That's interesting that you stuck around with it instead of going back to straight knives. Well, I didn't I didn't have the room for it. I didn't have room for a, a full size machine. No, instead I'm saying I'm surprised you didn't go back to straight knives on your seven thirty five. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the situation of overheating, it, it wasn't like every time I used it, mm-hmm. it was just, if I had a bunch of lumber I had to do, it was yeah. always going to happen. And I knew it and I planned for it. I guess I wasn't surprised when it did. So it wasn't a big deal. What about you? Lee? Yeah, I had a Delta, I can't even remember the name of it, but I had a Delta lunchbox. And then mm-hmm. I, the one after that was, a. I had a jet molder planer, you know, where you can mm-hmm. get the different molder. Inch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was mm-hmm. that was a great machine, by the way. Yeah. Um, for for what it is, it it did come on its own stand, but it was you know cast uh, cast iron bed on it. It was mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, gosh, that's just a hard question because it sounds like I think I have the, an answer for him, but I'd like to hear what you guys think first. It seems like the motor on both is seems very similar. I mean, they're going to be univer- both universal motors, right? Yeah, so but I, 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 it matters what the the wattage of the motor is, and mm, I don't, I don't know what that. I don't know is. either. Um, yeah, it's tough. I, I went from the seven thirty four straight knives to a, the jet that I got now with straight knives, and only recently, well, last few years, upgraded it to the helical head. I had pretty so, good luck with the seven thirty four. That's tough. Let me let me ask you this, guy, and this might help get to the answer. Um, because you had both the seven thirty four and seven thirty five. What were your reasons to upgrade to the seven thirty five? First of all, the seven thirty four was almost twenty years old. Yeah, and it did not. It planed unevenly, and I couldn't adjust it out. Mm. I'm very OCD about things. Mm-hmm. And it was off like six or seven thousandths of an inch from one side to the other. Yeah. And I couldn't live with it. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's it. Yeah. The 735 it was really accurate. I could be able to get within a couple three thou. Yeah. And I was fine with that. But when you're talking six, seven thousandths, like, yeah, there's not much to adjust, if anything, at all. The heads are, or the knives are, you put them in and they go one spot. They're indexed. Exactly. So it, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a problem with putting the knives in. It was the the, the mechanics of the machine itself. So I mean, it's it's plastic. Yeah. I mean, it's not a really heavy duty machine. There's the post on each side. It's got an acme thread on one side of it. So, I mean, it's not a heavy duty machine, and I use that thing commercially. I mean, I, yeah, you're talking about 735, right? Uh, no, the, no, 734. Seven, whatever okay. the yeah, number 34. Was. Yeah. yeah, they also and had a 733. I, oh, it man. might have been a 733. I have no idea. Um, but like I said, it was a lunchbox style, and and I abused the hell out of that thing. I used it for I said almost 20 years, and I put a lot of material through that thing. So it not, you know, it being replaced wasn't a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I would really recommend, Mike, if, 
if you can hold out just a little bit longer, save a couple more dollars, I would start looking on Craigslist and the Facebook um, marketplace marketplace for used joiners or used planers, planers. full size. Ah, uh, hmm. yeah, um, like a 15 inch grizzly or something like that. Uh, whatever it is, you know, 15 inch, whatever. There's also, I almost bought one once and I should have, uh, Makita, there's some that float around there. That's a Makita 12 or 13 inch. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, but it's a really nice little machine and it's, but it's a, it, it has a induction motor and, I've, I saw them used for you know, anywhere from six, seven, eight hundred dollars yeah, It's a price, smaller machine. For the price of those heads, like a, the bird, Shelix or whatever head, they're pretty good money for a 12 inch machine. So yeah, you could probably find a used, yeah. you know, good size planer for a little bit more, if not around that price. Cause yeah. what are they like five, 600 bucks for those uh, heads? Oh, the heads are. Yeah. 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 But even then, you know, if you have a a, a, a full size joiner, and he didn't say anything about room was an issue, he said yeah. he went straight for dollars. So, yeah. you know, I don't even know how much a seven thirty five is right now. You guys, mm, they five used six seven hundred dollars. Yeah, they used to be five to six hundred. Yeah. Well, they're six, seven hundred now. Let's just say it's six hundred dollars. Hey, let's say I like six hundred. Yeah. yeah, let's say six hundred. So we're really, really well prepared. <laughs> so six, seven hundred bucks, and you know, if you can hold out a little bit longer, save up a couple hundred more bucks. You know, maybe sell one of your kids and. Uh-huh. Six hundred and eighty dollars, six hundred and seventy dollars. By the well, way, well, your kids maybe mine are worth more. I could get oh. you know, easy one hundred and fifty. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and hold out a little bit longer and, and see what comes up on the on the the, the marketplace. I used to put when I was looking for stuff, I always put um, alerts on Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. For certain keywords that would come up, and I could I could get the stuff right away if I was really wanted it. Yeah. Um, that might be an option for you, but did you that have, would be did, that would be my recommendation. Did you have the planer beds for uh, in feed and out feed planer beds for the seven thirty five? Well, yeah, it had you know in feed and out feed tables. Yeah, do those come with it? Yeah, I the extendable I, beds. I think they're an option. Yeah, with the beds at seven hundred, without it's six hundred. Okay, just FYI. Sorry, for, for folks out there. I, I ended up putting a, a piece of melamine mm-hmm. underneath it. I, I lost, you know, three quarters of an inch of thickness, but I really didn't care. So yeah. I used that and that that really served me well. Right, right. So but cool. I said that would be my recommendation, Mike, to see if you can hold yeah. out, save a few more, you know, shekels. And... <laughs> so I think we've kind of answered that one. I don't mm-hmm. know who's got the next question. Lee. That would be me. Guy. Guy's got the next. Or a guy, Sean. take the second one. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Are you on the computer over there, Hui? I am. Focus f- focus now, buddy. All right. <laughs> you, you probably not had much sleep, though, have you? So that's not, not fair. Not much. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he's had plenty of sleep. Uh, <laughs> all right. I'll take the second one. How about that? Uh, Here we go. Yeah. Hey, fellas, I'm looking into a new drill press. I'm looking to spend about $500. I noticed the Rikon radial arm drill press is at the same price as the standard drill press. Why wouldn't I buy the radial arm drill press? Thanks, Scott. So I think for $500, I believe that may be the bench top. Again, we didn't prepare with looking at our latest price guides and what that gets you. (laughs) I believe You didn't get your uh, Grizzly mailer? (laughs) No, no, I didn't. Um nor the uh, Rikon. I think that is the um, the bench top version because they also have a floor standing radio that's more than 500. I do know that. So I'm going to guess that it's the bench top. Uh, for the people that aren't familiar with it, uh, it seems like a pretty cool concept. The head of the drill press will rotate like like a clock. Uh, you know how the table rotates? Well, this on this, the head rotates. And one other cool little feature about the radial arm drill press is that the head slides in and out, mm-hmm. uh, up to, 
uh, depending on the model, I saw that the floor standing can be pulled out, I think 15, 17 inches, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it travels in and out and it'll rotate um, to allow you to pull it out and rotate it to get some pretty crazy big pieces, uh, get some holes drilled on that kind of stuff uh, on different angles. Um, I personally don't know of anyone that has one. I wanted to take this to because I'm, I've, I've, I was interested in the radial arm drill press a few years ago. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think as well. Um, but the pros of these devices are they rotate, the head can rotate and pull in and out. So you've got some flexibility mm-hmm. on drilling larger pieces, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, angle pieces, angled pieces. Yeah. So it's going to yeah. give you the option for moving the head a little bit instead of being limited to just a rotating table. Mm-hmm. Um, the, other than that, for the pros, it's pretty much like a standard drill press other than the rotating head that comes in and out. So there are some cons that may come along with this. Again, right. I don't have one of these. This is just from what I've gathered. Um, they are rather large and bulky since the head moves in and out. So mm-hmm. you're going to need more bench space if it's a bench top or floor space, if it's a floor standing unit, because the it looks like the radio arm drill presses, they look like what does that move like an alien character? They look, they got a really big head. Yeah. So you're going to need some, some floor space for that to move in and out. If you plan on doing that other than just rotating the head. Uh, so you will, that is one con you'll need a little bit more room. Uh, I have read stories from folks mentioning that with the head pulled all the way forward or all the way, probably not all the way back, but all the way forward, you're going to have some flex. rigidity issue and oh, some yeah, flex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah some right. flex. Um, so you may need to double and triple check everything before you start drilling when you pull mm-hmm. the head out, because that is something that can potentially happen because you're dealing with a lot of weight. Uh, and obviously since you can rotate the head, one of the other cons that I read is you'll just have to check and make sure that it holds its settings and stays at yeah. the angle, the 90 that you need when you rotate it back. Uh, you know, this is true with rotating tables as well, mm-hmm. but you're dealing with a heavier head unit that can, uh, move at times, especially with the force being applied during the drilling using decent sized bits. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the three cons that I kind of picked up of why it would, I probably wouldn't buy a radial arm drill press. Doesn't mean it's, this applies to every model and make and brand out there. It could have just been one person or two or three people having these consistent issues. It's just something to check. It's not necessarily a, 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 you know, something that I would shy away from it. Just, these are things you have to take into consideration, but right. outside of the rotating head and the being able to pull the head in and out, you're looking at pretty standard drill press, uh, for the most part. I didn't see the one, the, the Rikon, I think it said it had one third horsepower. Eh, I mean, that's pretty close to standard about what you would get for a drill press. Uh, nothing too crazy, too powerful. So it may take you a little bit longer to drill some bigger bits, but this is what I've gathered in, and just looking at the radial arm drill presses over the over the years, and being interested in them as well. I I can I can count on one hand the number of times I've rotated the table to drill anything yeah. at an angle, but I don't make chairs, so mm-hmm. I that's the reason I just went with a a porta cable floor standing unit that I got at Lowe's like seven eight nine years ago, just a basic mm-hmm. drill press, but. Um, Hui, what about you? What do you think about these radial arm drill presses? I looked at one way back when, um, before I had my central machinery, which is the Harbor Freight brand of drill presses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at getting a radial arm drill press and I think I, I almost pulled the trigger on one. But I ultimately did not because I thought, well, I'll just wait until my Harbor Freight drill press doesn't work anymore. And, uh, well, that never happened. Um, and I don't know. Are they are, are they significantly more expensive? I mean, $500 is terrible for a, a drill press with that much, um, what do you call it, capacity. Yeah. Um, I from what I've heard, and again, it never shied away from me even being interested in a radial arm drill press was that because there are more moving parts, you know, there's more to check, you know, square and all that to the table. But, you know, that table is rotates as well, you know, so mm, 
is it that big of a deal? No, uh, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I needed to drill at an angle. And in those situations, uh, I tended to use like a drill guide um, with a handheld drill. It just tended to work a little bit easier than bringing a big piece to the drill press. That's sort of how I've done it with uh, chair blanks in the past. Um, I don't know. Uh, I would probably shy away from it, honestly, because I just I don't see myself fiddling with that as much. Um, yeah, and I haven't found a need for like that big of a whip of a, of a drill press. Yeah, I, so. I agree. It, I think a lot of woodworkers when they're looking at drill presses, they see these interesting looking devices and they're like, huh, well, why wouldn't I get this? Because it gives you X, Y, and Z and it's about the same price. Right. A lot of right. people have these same questions, I think. Mm-hmm. Guy, uh, you have just like your traditional drill press, right? You don't have yeah, I have a work. bench top. I have a bench top drill press. Yeah. It's like a, it's a steel city. It's no longer in business. I think it's yeah. a 13 inch drill press and it's actually it had a three quarter horsepower motor in it. Rate alarm drill press. I, you know, I, at one, at one point in time, I, I built a lot. I used to build a lot of chairs. Mm-hmm. And I never even considered rate alarm drill press. I just used wedges and moved the table and, you know, right. did that kind of stuff. And it was fine. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess the thing you have to really ask yourself is, why do I need a radial arm drill press? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... All, all the angles. <laughs> well, are... But are you what are you, what are you building right. that requires all those angles? I right. guess is what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. No, hundred um, percent. And I'm I'm with you, Hui. I have one of those uh, drill guides okay. that that yeah that that you know you hook your drill up to, mm-hmm. and you can get angles and it does. It's from made from by Rockler. That's it's really nice. It's got a thing there for like yep. you know round dolls and stuff like that. It's actually really nice. Um, but other than that, I, I guess I, for me anyways, I'm not saying this is for what, who's, who asked the question? What was his Scott. name again? Scott. I, I can't speak for Scott, but for me, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. And ultimately that's kind of where I came from, uh, in terms of shying away from getting a radial arm drill press because I, yeah. I, I was looking at the things in my shop and it's like, well, the drill press is the last thing I have to. <laughs> I've only known one guy that had one and I, and I never even thought to ask him how he liked it. <laughs> um, so I don't have any real world experience with them. I have mm-hmm. no uh, conversations with somebody that's had one. I, I've seen them and yeah, they look neat. But in the end, it's like, okay, do I really need this or do I want a little extra horsepower? I think I paid like $250 for my drill press. Yeah. Yeah. And it does everything I need it to. Yeah. So. There are a lot of used drill presses too. Yeah. There's a lot of used drill presses out of that. There's not much to them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Majority of the time it's. You're not, you're doing everything at 90, drill some holes, bada bing, move on. The drill mm-hmm. press is just, in my opinion, just something, just, I, I wouldn't need it. I don't need anything fancy. Give me the power, yeah. give me something to drill straight mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm happy. Right. Yeah. Right. I agree. So, I agree. Yep. And, and if you do find yourself, you know, building a lot of chairs or Windsor chairs and you need all those, you know, angles and whatnot, I think a drill guide would serve you a lot, a lot better than getting or just, a rotate your table yeah 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 wedges and whatnot yep yeah well i hope that helps scott let's move it on to we okay this is from jason and uh perfect question for my current situation first off this may be a repeat he says i've sent it in some podcasts but uh who can keep track of them all uh i'm making a high chair for a friend which i hope to complete before the kid goes off to college yeah, I, I I know the feeling from big box store mahogany. So I'm thinking it's a Pele question mark. 
Um, I'd love suggestions on how to finish so it's both durable and safe for a tiny human to gnaw on. Um, so, you know, interesting question. It, it's something that I've thought of. Actually, I think I've uh, talked with you, Guy, about this, or, or Sean. I can't remember who, um, outside of the podcast. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're, you're wanting something that is kid-safe or kid-proof. Because I think maybe what would be better is looking at it from the perspective of kid proof or easily repairable because there is no such finish that's like 100% kid proof, right? I mean, they're going to gnaw on it. They're going to do stuff to it. Just be prepared for that. I think the important thing that you know you kind of need to sort of think about is, you know, you're looking for something that when it cures, cures hard, is non-toxic, um, you know, nothing that has like heavy metals or lead in it. And as far as I know, there aren't any water-based finishes that have that as far as I know. Maybe I'm wrong, but there aren't any water-based finishes that I've used that, you know, have lead or things that are toxic once it cures. Once it cures, I mean, it's like anything else. You know, if you're going to gnaw on, you know, a piece of maple versus a piece of maple with water-based poly on it, I, 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 I think... Um, you'd be more concerned about your teeth than, than, you know, the, the small amount of toxicity that you might be getting from, you know, the water-based, the cured water-based finish. My opinion, I would go with like a polyacrylic, you know, if you're going to be using like some type of stain or something like that, maybe a couple of coats of sanding sealer first. Um, but polyacrylic is going to be relatively easy to refinish if you need to. Um, or not refinish, to be honest, and just wait until, you know, it's all dinged up. Uh, in terms of hiding dings and stains and different things, uh, I would probably just keep it the dark mahogany that it is um, and, and not worry about it because, you know, it's going to get dinged up and you're just going to have to be prepared for that. And again, so long as it doesn't have any, in my opinion, so long as it doesn't have any heavy metals when it cures out or, or, toxic things like lead or whatnot, I wouldn't be a bit concerned. I'd be more concerned about the child's tooth if, if you know, it's uh, breaking a tooth on uh, from gnawing on it than, than the toxicity of the finish first. But I, I would just go, I'm sorry, go ahead, guy. I was just saying, I think most modern finishes are quote unquote food safe once they've completely cured. Yes. So, you know, I think food safe is really the, the term we're looking for here. And if it's food safe, okay. Yeah. I mean, are you worried about him ingesting it or are you worried about him destroying it? Right. And it doesn't really say on that. Yes. No, it's all durable and safe. So durability wise, I mean, if you're, so I I'd really look at like shellac, just or, shellac, or, or a water based any water based finish. If you want something yeah. that's like really durable, go go water based conversion varnish. Yeah, that's a that's a lot. That's pretty durable. It it is. It's a little expensive though, wouldn't you? Th th how how much is a gallon of um, water based conversion varnish? Hundred bucks, eighty ninety bucks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How much, is a, how much is a gallon of of polycrylic polycrylic $60 I don't know I haven't bought one in a while but it's I know expensive. they've gone up it's expensive yeah. a quart is like 20 some bucks oh really yeah let me see here let me see here gosh I, I've not purchased finish in so long I don't know what prices are everything's anymore. expensive now yeah all right polycrylic polycrylic for a gallon is $55 at Lowe's all right. that's not bad that's not bad but yeah no I mean yeah. conversion varnish is going to be the toughest Water-based conversion varnish, and I'd go water-based just because you don't have to deal with the the stink. But yeah, and if it's if it's conversion varnish, it's going to be low VOC. It's going to be quote again quote unquote food safe. And yeah, yeah. I don't have anything what? to add to it, but I do have a question. Mm -hmm. What box store has mahogany? I don't know. I was a lot of them that do. Really. Yeah, it depends on where you live. I know there's there's some people that say they bought walnut from from Home Depot. I'm like, really? <laughs> wow. 
I know, I know uh, this guy in California that every time he goes into a Home Depot, he starts picking through the the maple because he says he finds bird's eye and tiger maple in there sometimes, and it's yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. But yeah. they don't have they don't even have maple where I am. No. So we have uh, red oak, white oak, and poplar at our. Yeah. Here we got pine, red oak, white oak. Yeah, poplar, and I think there is one place that does have maple close to me. Huh? Oh man, that'd be awesome to have one that had mahogany or sapeli. Oh, I bet it, <laughs> yeah. it's really, really yeah. cheap too. Yeah, that's true. I bet that'll <laughs> just like everything else that they have. Yeah. 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 Well. Well, um, I hope that helps, Guy. We're back to you. This is from Mike Sibley at Sibley Manor Woodworks. That says, hello, my brother-in-law's house flooded during a recent hurricane. They have a heavy-duty metal circular staircase that had been carpet-covered, that had carpet-covered plywood stair treads that were trashed. I have made new stair treads with red oak and was planning to use Osmo, I assume he's referring to Pollux, to finish for PolyX. But now they say they want them dark. What product would you recommend to both darken and seal that would hold up long-term to foot traffic? I'm thinking a stain with Osmo might eventually wear off, leaving an uneven color. Thanks in advance, Mike Sibley. So. Hmm. Good question. It is a good question. And I'm going to recommend something I would never, ever recommend otherwise. Should we guess what that is? <laughs> Do you want to guess? You want to make a game of it? Yes. I like these. Sean? Dang. You had to put me at first. Uh, I'm going to say that you are going to say a tinted polyurethane. I know I'm wrong. Just a guess. Yeah, you're wrong. Dang. We? I'm going to say a Minwax floor polyurethane. I think they make a quick drive floor polyurethane or something like that. Well, you're, you're wrong on both counts. You both said poly. Well, you I said, know you did you say poly? poly? I said a tinted poly. I, I oh, didn't get specific. Yeah. Um, oh, no, 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 no. What is that other company? Um, <laughs> it's not like, it's like Osmo, but it's the other one. Rubio. Yes. Are you going to say ding, 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 ding? Yeah, that's really, it. really. Yes. <laughs> well, because it's made the, for the, the reason why I'm saying that because Rubio Monaco was not made to put on furniture. It was made to put on floors. Yeah. And it comes in colors. Yep. It's easy to apply and it's perfect for something like that. I wouldn't put it on furniture, but I put it on. I'd, I'd put it <laughs> on. I'm surprised I didn't guess that. I'd put oh, it on stereotypes. I think that would be a, a really good use for it. Mm-hmm. It's it's not cheap, but it 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 does go very far, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's a perfect application for it. But I, I think you can get Osmo. No, maybe not Osmo. You might not be able to get in different colors. Yeah, you can take and thing is, and we talked about this before. Animal and dye. Yeah, you can take any finish, mm-hmm. any clear finish, and add dye to it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to come pre died yeah dumb question for you yeah does the wax in the osmo hurt that i don't know i've I've never used the the poly x or the pollux so i I have never ever used a oil wax blend period so i only know people that have and people have talked about it quite a bit and i know that it's it requires maintenance Yes. So that's why I would kind of shy away from it for a floor. Um, they used to at one time, they don't anymore, and there's a reason for it, but they used to at one time, you, you could buy uh, water-based polyurethane, and then you got this stuff, it was called a cross-linker. Mm-hmm. And you put it in there, and, and I've... It basically, it, it tightened up the molecular molecular structure of the water-based poly and made it super, super hard. Mm-hmm. Just about everything is cross-linked now from the factories. They don't even make the stuff anymore. It's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So 
what I'd recommend, if you don't want to get the, the, the Rubio monocoat, I dig that. You might want to look at just regular old, what you guys were saying before, just poly, a water-based polyurethane. And just tin it. And just tin it or, yeah, I, I would yeah. just tin it. Yeah. Depends yeah. on how dark you want to get it. You're not going to get it like really yeah. super dark. Now without staining it before you apply the top coat. Yeah, but he's, he's, yeah. he's saying that he wants a, um, a one and done kind of thing. And that's why, you know, that's another reason I said Rubio. Yeah. It's, it's made for what he's doing mm-hmm. and it's a one and done. Yeah, I, I, I dig that. You know, if I were looking for a one, a one-stop shop, I, I agree with that. If, man, it's tough though to get the desired color if you're wanting to go super, super dark. But again, I have no experience with Rubio. If it were me, I would probably put down a stain on that red oak and then apply a poly over top of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. red, oak, red oak stains very easily. Yeah, yeah. It, that's what I'm thinking too. It, it, it stains really well. So that's just my opinion. But I have no experience mm-hmm. with high traffic areas and putting finish on them. It's just that seems to be what, you know, a pretty good go-to of stain first and then poly over it for floors, hardwood yeah. floors. Yeah, I did, we did some flooring in our house and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a laminate floor. But I had to make a bunch of nosing for the stairs. Mm-hmm. And that's all water-based conversion varnish. Yeah. And it's been there for a couple of years and it looks like the day I put it in. Well, hopefully that helps. Uh, yeah. We are on to our next question and that is Sean. All right. This is from our friend Brent Jarvis, Clean Cut Woodworking on Instagram. Who's that guy? Yeah, old Brent. <laughs> he says, I'll save you the airtime by not mentioning how awesome y'all are and how awesome your podcast is because you Oof. already know that. If Oof. we and Sean didn't know that already, just ask Guy. He will talk for hours. Ha ha. <laughs> Two part question is when contemplating. I, I got a, I got a question for for <laughs> Mr. Brent. Jarvis. Why are you always busting my balls, man? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, let's see. Two part <laughs> question is when contemplating buying a new tool, do you let the space you have for the tool? determine if you'll be getting one over the other. Also, when you bring a new tool into the shop, do you find yourself using that tool as an excuse to rearrange your shop, even if it's an upgrade from a tool you already have? I'm going to answer the first part of that one on this podcast because I have a feeling that's going to be a pretty beefy question, and then I'll answer the second one. So you'll have to stay tuned for the second part of that, like that old Batman show. Um when contemplating buying a new tool, do you let the space you have for the tool determine if you'll be getting one over the other? I would say the only tool that I have that I did not let the space dictate what I got was my table saw. I started out with a, and I've said it a million times, a Black Friday $69 skill table saw, that construction saw. And then I moved to a, the a, a cabinet style saw, which is what I have now with the, the saw stop. In other words, I wanted to get the best saw that I could afford. Well, I'm not even going to say that because that may start a whole different conversation. <laughs> I wanted to get the saw that I wanted to get regardless of the, where I'm putting it. Um, and I did not let size or the future plans of other tools dictate that. I pretty much centered everything else around the table saw in my shop. So I didn't let that. Now, the other thing, everything else in my shop, pretty much I let the space uh, determine what I would get. 1632 drum sander. I would obviously like to go larger, but I'm kind of limited. A combination mm-hmm. joiner planer combo. I would love to have separate machines, but mm-hmm. I'm stuck with what I got, which I'm happy with. Um, drill press, you can stick those anywhere. Um, the bandsaw, you really don't need a lot of space for that. You, you don't have to. You have a small footprint. Yeah, yeah, you can stick that that bad boy anywhere. But pretty much the the tools that I have, the I didn't, I got the saw that I wanted. The other things, I would love to have dedicated planer and joiner, and I would get rid of the combo in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. um, and drum sander, and and outside of that, you know, I I pretty much have to look at what what space I have because I'm I'm going to talk about it at the end of the show. Now I'm also rearranging the shop and building some new stuff for a miter saw. Um, that I'm kind of, I would love to go larger, but I'm, you know, I'm going to work with what I have in the shop. But the only thing I didn't let the shop dictate was the table saw. I got what I wanted and I wasn't, I wasn't going to go any smaller than that. 
Um, yeah. What about you guys? We, I know you got like a 7,000 square foot shop, so you probably don't have to worry about this. <laughs> 720. <laughs> what, what is your, what is your thought process on, on this question? Oh yeah. I mean, the whole reason why I have a combo jointer planer machine is because it was a machine that was keeping pretty close to the capabilities that I had before, but cutting uh, the footprint, if not at least in half in a quarter, because, you know, the joiner the joiner I had was like an eight foot long bed, um, had to be rolled out, uh, and rolled in in order to use it. And then, you know, obviously I had the 15 inch planer. And so people thought it was crazy to go down from a 15 inch planer to a 12 inch planer with a 12 inch, you know, joint capacity, but it just saved so much room. And it also eliminated the poss- the need for me to roll out those tools and then roll them away when I don't use them. So I, I would say that for me, the joiner planer was a big one where, you know, it was definitely a consideration. And I would say that the table saw was probably one of those tools where it wasn't a consideration. Very much like you, I got the one that I wanted um, size wise. And it, and I did that knowing that I was going to put a router table in there. So it kind of was like, yeah, well, I'll just get, you know, if I could just get a little bit bigger table saw, then I get a little bit you know, bigger work platform for the router as well. So, eh, yeah, I do consider space, um, but not for all the tools. The table saw was definitely one that I did not consider space for. Um, Guy, how about you? I You have a little bit smaller than what I have, right? I've got a lot. You've got a three-car garage. I've got a two-car garage. Yeah, we... You, you guys both... I'm sorry. Jeez. Excuse me. Send us some so, space. Um... I've got a small bump out on mine. It's maybe like a a large two car garage. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, in 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 a situation where you're in a garage shop, I, I think you have to think about the space mm-hmm. that you're getting one machine over the other. It, it's it's almost a must. Yeah, because you've got to be able to work inside. I've got. For me right now, I've got an, I've got a lot of stuff in my shop. Yeah, I can use all the equipment. I don't have to move it. There's only one or two machines I have to move to use them, but it's not like I use them on every single project. Yeah. However, I have no room for the project. <laughs> right. As silly as that sounds. No, so I'm let me give you an example. I can't make anything really big in my shop. Because I have nowhere to build it. Yeah. Amen to that. Building an eight foot dining table, not yeah. going to happen. Not yeah. in my shop. Yeah. So I've got too much stuff in there now. Yeah. Um, especially with the addition of the CNC, it's just, it's, yeah. It's just, it's just, and crowded. your CNC is small too, two by four. Well, well it's I, don't small, but it's I don't know. I don't know. I'd call it small. It's still, pretty no, my ship Oko is small. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it so still takes okay. up a, okay. a lot of room, but I mean, if, if you've got a, a smaller shop, like a two-car garage, which is probably the bulk of the people listening to this podcast, I'd say maybe three out of four guys listen to this, or gals listening to this podcast right now are working out of the garage. They're hobbyists or very serious hobbyists, mm-hmm. and yeah, you got to think about space. You got to think about how you're going to be able to use it. Are you going to have the in-feed and out-feed capabilities? I mean, it's great to have this brand new tool, but if you can't use it, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So you have to. Yeah. Yeah, that Yeah, I agree with every single thing you said. You, you know, if you get the tools that you that you want, now you're not left with any room to really build anything around it with those tools and I, <laughs> I struggle. I'm like, man, I need to make a, I need to build a kitchen table. I'm like, but where am I, how am I going to do that? I'd love to make new kitchen, you know, cabinets. Where would I do that? I got to make three or two big, one big cabinet now from a new miter, uh, a miter station or whatever. And I'm like, how am I going to do that? Where am I going to store this stuff? So I've been throwing away, I threw away my current miters. Well, I'll talk about this at the end of the episode, but yeah, yeah I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah, But you can, you can stage stuff. In another room in your house. Right. Without right. your wife, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, well I'll, yeah, I'm going to build this, Judy. Uh, I'm going to be staging it in our uh, front dining room. You know, the formal dining room we have now. 
I'm going to put that in there and it's going to be there for a couple months. Is that okay? I'm not going to tell you about what I, what I do with my, uh, my pieces when, uh, you when put I'm them, just, you put them in the house and she gets pissed. Yeah. Well, we got a bonus room. <laughs> well, you you know what I mean? Well, you've got, you know, an 8,000 square foot home. Uh, not everybody has that kind of money. We have a blank room. <laughs> I just put stuff in. <laughs> Let me ask y'all one question then. This is a little, I'm going to start throwing little fun quizzes or not quizzes, but fun games in these episodes. You have, you can only answer once with one one answer each. Uh, if you were to all of a sudden get double the space, what would be your very first tool purchase, which would be either a purchase or slash upgrade, get rid of what would be your first tool purchase? Dun, 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 dun. If I doubled my space? Yes. What one tool would you either upgrade or buy if you had more room? I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I would just love having the room. That's not, and the, the, reason that, that's because, not the game, Hui. Come on now. I know, but the reason is because I have all the tools I want. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, right? Like, I'm, I'm happy with the tool setup that I have. Yeah. You, you wouldn't You go, know what I mean? You wouldn't go, well, I mean, you wouldn't go like, like, mine would be, I would, I would go to, I would split out the jo- the combo machine and go with the planner and joiner separate. Sure. You yeah. happy? Are you that happy with your combo machine that if you had double the room and could sell that, you would, you would stick with what you got? And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just, you know, throwing this question out there. Obviously, it's a nice machine. Yeah, if I had double the space, I would love to have two separate machines and dust collection going to them and plenty of infeed and See, that's, that's what I would, that's what I would, if I had that, if I had doubled my space, mm-hmm. first thing I would look at is dust collection. Mm. Because yeah. I'd have, I'd have anything that if I had that much room and it was dedicated and I didn't have to put cars in there. Yeah. I would look at, you know, ducting and all that stuff yeah. and, a and, a you know, a much larger, uh, dust collector. I don't know. Your dust collector has some oomph to it. Even with some ducting, you don't think. Yeah. But I, I, uh, Sean's asking me if I got double the space, what would be sure. the thing I would want to, I'm happy with my table saw. I'm happy with my bands. I'm happy with all my tools. Yeah. I like my dual machine, my yeah. combo machine joiner planer i like having a 12 inch if i bought a 12 inch joiner and a 15 inch planer it would just take up and i I would never use the additional three inches on the planer right there'd be no point to it Mm -hmm. to be honest with you Mm -hmm. no i hear you so i'm fine with my joiner planer but the only thing i can really think of doing in that case i wouldn't want to hoses on the floor which is what i would have to do I'd want to upgrade my dust collector. Okay, Sean. That is your answer. You quid locked pro it in. quo. Quid now, pro quo, Sean. Uh-oh. What would you do? Um, if I had double the room, it I, I would probably I would say I'd get rid of the jet and go double. I, actually, I would buy a, a standalone planer and just keep that for the joiner. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's what I would do. That's a good idea. But I got to get double the room first, so I don't have to worry about that. Right. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Just build it. Brent, we will answer the second part of your question next week, so tune in for that. And I'm going to pass it off to Hui for his final question. All right. This question is from Adrian Abshire. And Adrian, sorry, we didn't see your question originally. It was on Patreon, but we see it now. So uh, I hope you're still listening, which I think you are. Howdy from Madison, Alabama. Hey, my neck of the woods. I'm pretty new to woodworking, although I've been building and finally finishing our kitchen cabinets, including 43 drawers. Wow. What an undertaking. Now I'm getting into finer woodworking and I am building a two inch thick six foot by four foot oval walnut maple kitchen table. My question is about building a base for the table. Any idea on how to prototype the build so that I can see if the base will actually hold all the weight of the table? I can build it in SketchUp, but that really won't tell me how much weight it will support. I also thought about building a tulip style base as our home has very contemporary styling. Adrian Abshire. So, Adrian, uh, you can use finite element analysis Uh-oh. to do what? Uh oh. 
find out where the stresses are on your table. What, what did you say first? SolidWorks or Pro Engine. Find out element analysis. It's oh my God. Um, basically it's applying FEA. stresses and weights to um, structures and bodies within SolidWorks, okay. Pro Engineer, well, well, we Katia, Ideas. This. We need to answer this question that, that he can actually do. The point is, is that <laughs> what I'm trying to get. He's got to pull up the dictionary for all these. At least I do. As I'm aware. None of you guys have done, guys, Sean, you, you guys don't do this, right? No, I don't like, do any yeah. F. I have FDA. no idea what the hell you're even talking about. Um, I don't either. So I don't build, I, you know, I don't prototype something or build something and then try to estimate how much weight that particular base will hold. A lot of what I've learned in terms of will this hold weight has been through reading articles, seeing certain designs and seeing thicknesses um, and correlating that with the thickness of the top that, you know, maybe um, a plan from fine woodworking magazine might have called out, right? Like uh, this thickness material to make this base, this style, this trestle base, or this, you know, apron base. Um, and I've gone off of that. Uh, He's talking about a tulip base. Are you familiar with what a tulip base is? I am f familiar with what a tulip okay. base is. Um, and the, I made, it's not a tulip base, but it's, it's kind of similar in the sense that it's, you know, a center base that supports a round table. And there are some rules of thumb in terms of how wide to make that base to support that round or oval table so that it doesn't tip. I think that's of greater concern is the tippability of the piece than it would be say, you know, is this structure going to hold the weight? Now, don't get me wrong. Two inches thick is, that's yeah, a thick table. That is that's thick. a very, that's a thick table, but I can't give you any particular rule of thumb because I don't have one to say, oh, well for a two inch thick table, you know, you need to make, you know, you, if you're going to use an apron base, uh, apron table, those, you know, tenons need to be this thick and that leg needs to be that thick. And these aprons need to be this thick. I, I, I just don't have that. You know, um, I draw it up and proportionally I look to see it's like, well, proportionally, does that make sense to, you well, know, well, I, I have a, a number that I've always used for pedestal bases to where the mm -hmm. legs or the, the base itself has to be so far from the edge of the table. Correct. And what can, what what number do you use, or what? I don't know what, what is that, the accepted norm. I can't remember what that is. I looked it up at one point. Um, I usually go four to six inches from the edge. from the diameter or the. Uh, so let's say yeah. you have a four foot round table. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go within four feet, four inches of that all the way around. So. That would be 42 inches. Right. Would be how wide the base would have to be at the bottom. Yeah. Sounds sounds like a great rule of thumb. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe when I built my round table, I was looking at the footprint of what I wanted the base to be. And I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I had looked it up and I came to a I think it's like four to six inches is the accepted norm or six yeah. inches or four. One of the two. I always went four. But okay. So how, how does he know how thick to maybe make the center column? Because well, that's something I'm like, I don't know. I don't know the when answer. When you're designing a table, it's just like anything else. What you want to do is you want to transfer the weight of the top to the floor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. So if, if you're doing that on the bottom, let's say with the tulip base, a tulip base, um, for lack of a better description, is almost like a a, a real severe hourglass. It's mm -hmm. wide it's at like the a top. Trumpet. Yeah, it's wide at the top and it's it's round and it goes down. It's got a thin stem and then comes out at the bottom. So right. and it's all curved. There's no straight lines on it, um, except for maybe the 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 middle. Anyways, you have to make the the top of that as big as the bottom in a case like that. Uh, but if you do it right, I don't think you have to have the, the center post. I, I don't think you want to make it three quarters of an inch wide, no. 
But if you made it a couple three inches wide, it'd be more than enough for a six by four. See, that's the other thing. It's a six by four oval. Right. I don't know how you're going to put a table or a, or a tulip base on an oval table. I guess yeah. maybe if one, if you'd have to make an one oval leg tulip with... table I, I, base. I, I don't know how that would work. I'm kind of my question. Or make is, two of them. We'd have dual pedestals. Well, have you seen pedestal tables with like four legs coming from it, like coming from the center? Yeah. Didn't you build one like that? Yeah. So could he make two of the legs longer and the and two short legs to sort of absolutely mimic the absolutely overture of the six by four? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but that's not what he's 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 saying. He liked to do tulip style, which I dig. But other than that, he's not asking about doing a a pedestal table only on the tulip style base for contemporary okay. look. So if yeah. if you if you're mm-hmm. not going to do the tulip style base, and you're just going to do a conventional, and you want to do something contemporary, myself, mm-hmm. I would go with a curved apron, where the apron actually mimics the radius on the oval. Mm-hmm. So like a bent lamb, like a bent yeah. lamb. Yep. Mm-hmm. And to have a very clean look and i'd go with with, with round legs uh with mortised, not, in, mortised into the apron. yeah without without yeah, yeah. a lot of ornamentation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but just round legs i think See, that would look cool I, I thought of a pedestal table right so because mm-hmm. it's kind of similar to a tulip and you could have two legs going a little further out oh yeah that's pretty common foot, you know that's six foot common. area yeah um so that's what i was thinking but I mean, I don't know in terms because he's asking here how how does how are you able to tell whether or not you know this is going to be strong enough? And with regular legs, you know, and aprons, you know the weight's going to be going down on the legs. Down. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. th- the thing that you want to look at with that type of base is you want to, the proportions to be right. You don't want super skinny legs, mm-hmm. and you don't want mm-hmm. chunky legs. Yep. <laughs> you want good looking legs on your table. So find the right proportion. And what I like to do is just find something that's similar in size that you can see in person or online and try to get an idea of what that scale is to make your drawings accordingly. If you're doing a tulip style base, ugh, that I don't have, I, unfortunately, I, I don't know. even know how to make that. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have much help on the tulip style base. Yeah. That's a big top because it's two inches thick, six foot by four foot. It's not that big. Yeah. Okay. I, think I don't know. I deal with 16 foot. Yeah. Tops. <laughs> no, I mean, thick, yeah. I, when I, I say time. big, I mean like it's thick. Yeah. yeah. That's a thick top. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a thick top. I would almost, you know, he of course he can make it two inches thick if he wants to, but I don't know. I kind of like the idea of actually making it a thinner top and then building up an apron. That way you don't have to use all that material. I mean, it just seems like a really thick top and, to well, me. It's, when a, it's a thick, it's a, it is a thick top, but it's really not going to be all that heavy. What, what, Myself, what I would do is I'd do it in SketchUp, mm-hmm. and then I'd build a scale model of it. Yeah, prototype scale model. Yep. yep. When I'm looking at Google Images for a tulip-style woodworking base, a majority of the tops look to be about three-quarters to an inch thick. Maybe that's just part of their proportions that looked better with their base. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've never made a base like that, never used a base like that. Proportionally, I think it would have to be a really, really substantial tulip base for a two-inch thick top just to look right. Yeah, I, there is an example of a thick, like a really thick top on a small base, and it, in my eyes, doesn't look pleasing. Yeah. yeah. But it, this is all personal preference. What I think looks mm-hmm. excellent, you may think doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah, I said my, my best recommendation to, to Adrian is to build a, a you know not a full size scale model but you know downsized yeah and see how it looks and you can get you models can really help quite a bit all right well that i believe that's the last question yeah mm-hmm. i've got the cuz i was a I'm the host so let's get into what we've got going on on in our own shops uh, i'm going to go with guy first what we got 
Uh, as usual, on my own shop, nothing, because I've been working on my wife's to-do list. Every time I've got something, some extra time, it's I need to get this done. So I've been doing that kind of stuff. So it's just the usual stuff at work. I'm building big, huge things. <laughs> so and uh, lots of them, and lots of them. So like today. Uh, we finished up putting together. It came back from finishing. It was a it's a sixteen foot, four foot wide conference table, um, and Dude. I'm in the process of building a twenty four foot bench. God, golly, it's in huge. three eight foot sections. It's really not that much. It's just a lot of wood. Yeah. yeah. Um the 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 base is all metal. Yeah. And our 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 metal fab shop is putting that together. I've just got to you know I did the just the back slats alone was 250 board feet of wood. Gosh. Um I don't know the 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 seats had to be glued up so our tabletop department did that. I have no idea how much ash they used. That's a lot of wood. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a crap ton of wood. Yeah. So you're it's mil- just a lot, and you're, a lot mil- of you're milling all that stuff. Yeah, I milled it all my by myself by my lonesome. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm 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 an old man with a bad ticker. So who do they get? <laughs> who do they who 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 has to go over to the rack and pull the fourteen foot, ten boards. inch wide, two inch thick boards of ash down? Me wait, by myself. Or, yeah, wait, yours guy. truly. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, be help me. Nope. I think they're just. I think they they do that, and then they they sit back and they take they bets <laughs> to see if see if I'll have a heart attack and just keel over and die right there. Uh, let's hope not. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, I mean, it's, that's that's pretty much my life. Actually, when I come home after doing all that all week. I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time in the shop. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I so, believe it. Anyways. Hmm. All right, Sean, what do you got? Um, I've purchased uh, plywood for the first time since uh, COVID crap started. Um, yeah, I bet you that was fun adventure, wasn't it? It was lower quality for more money. So um, yeah. I purchased seven sheets of three quarter and four sheets of quarter. Uh, tore down my old crappy miter table, um, miter saw table, got rid of my lathe stand. Um, I'm going to tear the lathe apart. I got an extension bed. I'm going to be putting that up and probably getting, selling it eventually. Cause I, I don't use it. Um, and getting ready to move my lumber rack and all that stuff. Cause the back wall, I'm going to be building a six foot long cabinet base cabinet and then the blank space for the miter and then a two foot cabinet for a new miter saw station. That's going to give me a lot of uh, a lot of drawer space, and it's going to allow me to clean some of this stuff up and mm-hmm. and get a little bit more organized. So I've uh, I've just now got all of the drawer slides, the levelers, the pocket hole jig that I've never owned, um, plywood. What you never owned a pocket hole jig? No. Well, I did a um, like a real, the real small tiny Craig one, oh, yeah. but I'm yeah. not building all those cabinets with those little, that one, you got to clamp and drill, move it, clamp and drill. It's one of the little ones with two holes in it. So you got a proper pocket hole jig. Um, finally. And so now I'm just ready to, um, clean the mess up out there from me moving and getting rid of those two cabinets, put that stuff away so that I can start building these cabinets, getting that miter saw station set up. Mm -hmm. So that's going to keep me busy for the next probably four or five weeks, I would say. Are you keeping your miter saw? Yeah. Yep. I'm not putting any stops or slit or whatever stuff in there for the miter saw. It's just, it's going to sit there and I'll, I'm not going to do anything special just because it's a miter saw station, like no built in T track for stops and all that stuff, because I don't really, really use that stuff. I may do a couple of small things, but I'm not going to go out of my way to make it some, as they say, ultimate miter saw station. (laughs) Like I did the router. It's not. Table. It's not a miter saw station unless it's ultimate. That's right. I got a Rockler ad uh, in the mail, and it says "Ultimate Router Table," like 
two days ago. So they're selling an ultimate. Yeah, I've got an ultimate. I've got, well, no, I can't be true because I've got an ultimate. ultimate so do I. I think we all use that. <laughs> yep. But that's, um, that's what I've got going on in my shop is going to be tearing down a lot of plywood. It was import mm. plywood and I paid $67 a sheet. Import the Chinese quarter. plywood. V- uh, I don't is know. It the Vietnamese said, or the Chinese? It just, the the pl- the quarter inch said import China. The other one just said import. Yeah, it's okay. from China. I don't know. Yeah, it's from China. <laughs> it didn't say it, so I don't know. It's I from know, somewhere. I know. I know. Well, I don't know. We oui. didn't ask him. Well, uh, actually, uh, you know, even though I've been dealing quite a bit with a newborn and and taking care of my wife after giving birth, I've actually gotten quite a bit done in the shop. Uh, so I finished a refinishing project, which was an old, I mean, by definition, refinishing, it's going to be old, right? It's a 1960s Japanese, uh, table made in Japan, uh, really pretty table. Uh, and I refinished it, restained it and got it done for the client. I also started, or I processed all the, um, plywood for a painted dresser that I have for a client. And, uh, that's going to be a six drawer dresser, two banks of drawers. Um, I've got all the plywood processed and all of the maple, uh, processed for face frames and whatnot. And then I got in 110 board feet of eight quarter walnut. And this has got to be like the prettiest walnut I've ever gotten for uh, a table that I'm building um, that's due in May. Um, it is quarter sawn and riff sawn walnut. <laughs> uh, it is the straightest, most perfect walnut I've ever seen. Um, Did you so order it that really, way or is that just how it came? It came that way. Uh, so I had ordered it as grade lumber um, from Erian Lumber in Pennsylvania and uh, he got it out of Myron got it out of the kiln uh, and he calls me up and he says, well, it's all riffs on and quarter on. And I didn't realize that, but it, you know, it's the same price. Do you want it? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it's like, what kind of question is that? Yeah. So really uh, got three things, one thing finished and two things sort of on the table and uh, moving through that. I think the dresser should be fairly fast to put together though. That's what I've got going on in the shop. So cool. I think that wraps up this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions, key there, woodworking questions, uh, please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And just to remind everybody that really the best way to get in contact with us with a question for the podcast is through our website contact page. That's really the best way. We would also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and the feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Where can you be found, Guy? Uh, Just do a Google search for Guy's Woodshop and all my stuff will come up. And Sean? Um, Simplecove.com and at Simplecove on social media. All right. Well, guys, great talking to you, and we'll hear from you in a couple. All right. See you.